Welcome and thanks for joining us here at the Bethel Church Podcast. For more information about Bethel and who we are, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. We hope you are encouraged and that you find hope in today's message. Hey guys, I am, uh, introduce myself, my name is Rich, I am a grateful believer in Jesus, and a little bit about me, he's delivered me from a lot of stuff, y'all. He has delivered me from drugs, drunkenness, anger, pride, shame, and he's still working on me because I am a work in progress. My sanctification is not complete, amen? Amen. And uh, I want to start off by honoring, Uh, I'm not just going to do a rubber stamp, honor Pastor Daniel for letting me speak today and what he's doing in this church. We all know what Pastor Daniel's doing in this church. But I want to thank him for giving latitude to others to grow at all levels. I'm not just talking about me, let me up here, I get it, but at all levels of this church, he wants us all to grow spiritually, communally, relationally. He thrives for it. He he, he drives it. Everything he does is based on people and feeding us, y'all. So I want to thank him for that. But I also want to thank the other pastors because let's face it, we can't do it alone. And he's got a tribe and that tribe is Pastor Barry, who's an amazing teacher. Pastor Gage, who y'all met last week, who runs an amazing media team. Pastor Blake, who brings it. And is so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he makes way and lets the Holy Spirit get finished doing his business before he wraps up the worship. All the other pastors, man, Pastor Philip leading your youth and your teens every week throughout the week, man. I'm just, they've been pouring into me for five years. I'm blessed, I'm thankful, and we got other folks too. And I, you know, I could try to name them all, but I can't. Um, but Nelson and Lisa and, and all these people, man, they just poured into me. So I want to thank all of them. And I also want to ask you all a question. Are you making a difference in anybody's life? Mm. Now, I'm not talking about your wife, your kids, you know, people you're supposed to anyway. I'm not talking about your students for you teachers or for you coaches, your t-ball teams or your volleyball teams. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about stepping outside that circle and impacting anybody's life. I think I want you guys to kind of let that sit on your heart for a little bit as we talk today. People ask me, well, what's the title of your lesson, Rich? And I said, well, I I was going to title it people, dot, 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 SMH, because I do that almost every day. And I'm guilty of, sorry, doing it with my wife sometimes too. I'm like, really? And as I was writing this, I realized that I really need to Retitle it, people dot, 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 NMH, nodding my head. Because I'm one of those people. I'm people, man. And this may come as a shock to some of you, especially those of you who know me a while. I know, take a seat, hope you're sitting down. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I know, I know. I don't, I don't see it, Rich. Trust me. I can be overbearing. I can be intrusive. I can be demanding. I'm rough around the edges at times, and I've been told I can be unapproachable. Cool story. Um, I had a guy tell me one time, and he's in here today, but when I first came to Bethel five years ago, he said, I had to keep an eye on you. I said, why not? He said, you look like the kind of guy who would walk in and just open up on a place. And I was like, yeah, I was checking to see if you were carrying, and I'm like, really? That's just the look that I had back then. I hope I don't have that look now. Probably if you all come on a Friday night and there's some 
you know, things going on. I may have that look sometimes, but <laughs> it's important to know a little more than that about me. I think it's important to know where I come from and what God's done in my life, just a little bit. So in a snapshot, I was born to a poor, dysfunctional family. God was God. My dad was gone by the time I was four. He was a non-functioning alcoholic. And there was so much dysfunction, I figured I can do this better on my own. So at the age of 15, I said, peace out. I ended up 3,000 miles away in San Diego. Uh, the drugs and money ran out, so I said, well, let me at least, at least get back to where I know some people. So I went back to Boston where I was from. The next two years were a roller coaster, and I figured I'd better do something because I spent two years semi-homelessness, drugs, drinking. So I joined the military. I figured they'll take anybody. So I went to court, got off probation, joined the military, and would spend the next 30 years on active duty. Now, I know you, what you're thinking. Okay, the military, you got straightened out in there. No, I didn't. What the military did is it fed into my alpha. It fed into my arrogance. What I did is I then turned the humanity into my own buffet table. I operated on a scorched earth policy. I steamrolled everybody in my path, men and women alike. I didn't care. I didn't care about feelings. I had no empathy. I had no sympathy. I was just a bad dude. I was not good. Um, my daughters will tell you I'm all about the ships, being a Navy guy, right? I spent 30 years in the Navy. So I am all about the ships. Um, fellowship, mentorship, discipleship. I even told them growing up that they had two choices, scholarship or Navy ship. And they actually, one went one way, one went the other, ironically. But um, I was a bad dad to some and a non-existent father to others. That created even more stuff in my life, like shame. I feel I'm a little more successful now in general because I've identified my need for people in my life. I've identified my need for discipleship in my life, in my walk, in, in ministry, in healing. I realized I needed that. I had trouble seeing the forest through the trees and I needed people, but not just any people, but those on the same journey as me, with the same goals in mind. I've been a Christian for six plus years now, and it took me the first two and a half years to even get sober. I was still womanizing, still drinking every, even when I came out of the baptismal waters. I like to tell you that everything changed, the skies opened up like they did for Jesus, but it didn't happen. It wasn't 10 minutes after I came out of those waters I was thinking about what I was going to drink that night and where I was going. I actually thought I could still intentionally sin because, well, grace, right? We're preaching grace all the time. Works doesn't save us and works don't unsave us, so I'm good now. But I had to kind of do a self-reflection. Is my heart really where it needs to be? Is my heart really in Jesus? Because if it isn't, works don't matter. I thought I was okay I was good, because see, after I retired from the military, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and I found a church, because that's what we need, right, balance? That's why I went to church, for balance in my life. I even served as an usher. I was, doing, I was checking all kinds of God blocks. I was catching people as the Holy Spirit was laying them out. Check, another good deed done for God. That's where I was, that was my mindset, because I didn't know any better. 
Nobody locked arms with me and walked me through any sort of discipleship process. I was on my own trying to figure things out. I thought I was good to go. I was reading the Bible every day. I'd read the Gospels a whole, whole one time. And my second time through, I got to the Matthew 7 where he was doing his Sermon on the Mount. And as I got towards the end in chapter 7, I get down to the section where it starts talking about, where he starts it. He starts talking about wolf and sheep's clothing. And he starts talking about false prophets. He starts talking about trees. And how, I'm a paraphraser by the way, so when you see scripture, feel free to read it, but I'm gonna paraphrase my way through this whole day. He talks about trees and how good trees bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. One can't, you know, the good can't bear the bad, the bad can't bear the good. And the bad trees, they'll be cast into the fire. And I was like, ooh. In self-reflection, I was not bearing good fruit at all. So I got a question for you. What kind of fruit do you bear? And is anyone else besides you enjoying that fruit? And I scroll down a little more in Matthew and I get to the point where he's sitting on his judgment seat and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. He said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do good works in your name? Didn't I cast out prophets and heal and prophesy, do all these great things in your name? And he says to them plainly, depart from me. I never knew you. It's about the relationship and I didn't have one. To me, this was and still is the scariest scripture in the Bible for me. I was lost. I was on an island. I needed to know him. I needed discipleship bad. And you may say, well, Rich, you were a baby Christian. I get it. You were in a new place. You are a new church. Nobody was, you know, you were, you were on an island, as you just said. I said. Yeah, I was. I've been going to church for 30 years. I worked a media booth on Wednesday nights. I've played in the worship team before. We're in a life group. Okay, good. I hope your fruit's good. And I'm glad that you've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years. But my grandfather, growing up, I have never seen anybody, even today, more committed to being at church every single weekend, every single holiday. He simply didn't miss it. There was no DVRs back then. If the ball game was on, he simply missed the ball game. And, and he made all these sacrifices to be in church. But you know when? You know what I didn't see growing up? I never saw a Bible at his house. I never heard him utter the word to me or anybody in our company, Jesus. And you know when he accepted Jesus into his heart? On his deathbed in his 80s. See, he realized that all that going to church, all that commitment to being there didn't make a bit of difference. It made him no more Christian than sitting in a garage made him an automobile. It just didn't matter because he had no relationship. So I ask again, what are you doing for the kingdom and are you making a difference in anybody's life? Well, Rich, I'm a good person. I'm kind of to myself. God knows my heart. I don't know how many times I've heard that. God knows my heart. Yeah. 
That's why that scripture scares me that I talked to you about, because he knows my heart too. And it's vile. It's still vile. I hope it's less vile than it once was, but it's not good. It's always going to be a sinner's heart. But God, but grace, I'm thankful for that. See, we need to discipleship people. And you know what? I'm here today because ah, the seat's empty today. And that seat, empty seat right on the end, I stood five years ago. And somebody, out of obedience to the Holy Spirit, tapped me on the shoulder and said, I don't know what your beliefs are, but the Holy Spirit told us during worship, us, me and my wife, just in case one of them missed it, I guess, that we needed to connect with you. Connect. I said, all right. I'm down, cool, I believe all that. After all, the Holy Spirit told me one night while I was drinking and reading the Bible, stop serving yourself, start serving others. That's why I came to North Carolina where I didn't know anybody. So they tapped me on the shoulder, we talked, we connected. And then they locked arms with me and they started walking through life with me. They started discipling me. They pushed me when I needed push, they kicked me when I needed pit, kicked, they throat punched me when I needed throat punched. I can, be, I can be a little, you know, resistant. And they dragged me to a recovery meeting and then they walked through life with me. And it was that one act of obedience that bore so much fruit. Amen. Amen. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about this. Because whoosh, that right behind me, whoosh, picture that you all are seeing right now. Right now. <laughs> I'm glad we had a levity moment because I didn't do too well with this one last time, first service. That's the fruit of that one act of obedience and discipleship over there. Now, what, what you all see is just a young woman with jailhouse tattoos about to get baptized. But what y'all don't know, what that picture doesn't speak volumes to you, speaks to me. What that says to me is, that's my daughter breaking nine years of homeless addiction. Amen. Coming out of those waters and leaving that junk behind. Amen. That's what that picture speaks to me. And that's what that one act of discipleship, that's what that one act of discipleship, that's the fruit it bore. That's the fruit it bore. Nothing that I did except be obedient when I started getting promptings and she saw the change in me and said, oh, ooh, that's new dad. That's new dad. I think I want some of that. And that's the fruit I'm talking about. So when you're at McDonald's having breakfast with your kids and the Holy Spirit prompts you to check out them, them, them young'uns up at the register, I need you to go talk to them. Be obedient to that. Be obedient to that. Because you don't know what kind of fruit it's going to bear for them or their children or their children or their children. It snowballs, y'all. The Holy Spirit's got a purpose. He's not going to use you just for you to fail. Be obedient to it, and I promise you there's going to be fruit. Yeah. And if you fail to act on that, if you fail to act when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you're going to deprive them of a blessing you're going to deprive yourself of a blessing. Amen. Most importantly, you're going to deprive God of a blessing. You don't know what kind of fruit's going to roll on out of that. And you know what? This, it really, I was bearing bad fruit as a parent 
when they, grew, they were growing up. I was a garbage individual. I was a garbage parent. And I'm thankful that God is in the recycling business. Amen? Yeah. That's why in Recovery Alive, well, you had to know I was going there. Don't be surprised. Right? That's why in Recovery Alive, we can't keep it unless we give it away. Because that's exactly what we are in recovery is we're a discipleship. Pastor Daniel, a few weeks ago, he actually texted me during worship. Did I? Sorry, it's okay. He texted me during worship saying, hey, I need you to, can you speak in three weeks? And I want, to talk, I want you to talk about people. I'm like, oh yeah, I love people. Because y'all are my whys. That's why I don't, I, do, I don't do it for me, I do it for y'all. I do recovery because I want to lock arms with you and see y'all have the victories that I have. Amen. I want you to have what I have. And that's discipleship and that's what we do. But I also know that he asked me to add an RA flavor to this because he's lived RA. And I don't know if I'm violating anything, but I'm going to tell it. He went through a process. He did a process group. And he did the work. And it changed him. It changed his family. It changed his marriage. And I can't tell any more than that because it's not my story to tell, but he's going to tell it one day. We're going to make him. Amen. <laughs> That's how we do it. We're transparent. And transparency plus the power of Jesus equals healing. We operate on three P's in recovery. The first P doesn't need any explanation, doesn't need an exegesis. I'm going to say it and leave it. It's simply the power of Jesus. Amen. First and foremost. The second P is the process. Mm-hmm. Now, I know what you're saying, the 12 steps. All right, and some of you are going to detach and maybe not listen to what's coming next. You think recovery, 12 steps, you think of three words, drugs, Alcohol, addiction, right? We can be honest. That's what I thought. Well, that's who you are there, Rich. Yeah, that's exactly who we are. But we're so much more. Because it's not just the addiction. In fact, two-thirds of the people that walk in our doors every Friday night, two-thirds of the people that are in every one of our process groups, male and female, women's and men's process groups alike, don't struggle with addiction. They struggle with the same things every one of you struggle with. They struggle with Self-worth, depression, anxiety, anger, pride, shame, effects of past abuse, broken relationships. Y'all, broken relationships are hurt. It's a struggle. It all is. And we like to say that God will move mountains in our life, but he's going to hand you the shovel. He wants you to have a stake in the game, doesn't he? Amen. And that's what the 12 steps is. It's simply the shovel. It's a process we use so God knows that we're serious and that he will move mountains if we help. It's a tool for recovering out loud. We do it out loud. We do it together in community. And we hang our hats and we embrace, above all, James 5, 16. Confess your faults sins, hurts, habits, hang-ups, addictions, whatever it is, one to another and pray for each other so we can be healed. What we just saw down here in the front, Mm -hmm. that was vulnerability, transparency, community coming together and chains being broken. And that's what we do. And it doesn't have to happen on a Friday night. It can happen in your life groups on a Sunday afternoon. But you got to walk it out together. You got to be vulnerable. You got to be transparent. You got to share for each other, not in judgment or condemnation, 
but in trust, and you got to pray with each other first and foremost. A fervent prayer. It works. Pastor Daniel, I had this written down in my notes, and Pastor Daniel stole my thunder. He does that a lot because <laughs> he's good like that. But he said we can't one another ourselves. And a bunch of scripture we're going to talk about today is all about the one another. In fact, that might have been a good title for this message, one another. Another cute saying we have in recovery, we got a lot of cute ones, but they're memorable. And it's we're only as sick as our secrets. If I was to ask right now, and I'm not going to, because I'm going to be respectful of you here in this moment. But if I was to ask everybody in this place right now, how many people struggle with depression? I would probably see this from my vantage point. I would probably see, no. If I ask people here today, how many people would struggle, struggle, do struggle with pornography? I would probably see this, sitting on your hands just to make sure you don't twitch or react and throw your hand up in public. But I promise you, you come here on a Friday night and I ask those questions, there's not going to be any heads on a swivel. There's simply going to be hands going up, yeah, I do. I struggle with that. You know why? Because we all struggle. There's not a single person in this room, I promise you, that doesn't struggle with one of the things I just mentioned. And it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Amen. Grab a shovel, put in the work. Put it at the altar. God will do it. He'll move it. You saw it happen already today. If I could have orchestrated that and paid, told someone to buy him lunch, but I didn't have to because the Holy Spirit said, I got you, Rich. I'm going to do some work up here. You just step back and let me do it. The third and final P is people. It's people. It's quite simply, it's you and it's me. We know that true healing begins when we surround ourselves with like-minded people. In Recovery Live, we don't have discussion groups, Q&A sessions, open forums. We have people groups. Why do we call them people groups? Because we know it's more about the people and the connections than it is about the questions we're talking about. It's all about the connections. We recently had a social media post. It was pretty cool. I got a chuckle out of it. But the question asked, name three people who inspire and encourage you. And as I was scrolling through for my name, I didn't see it. I didn't see it, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, true story. But it, it, was all, it was funny. It was all women that answered the question, too. Not a single man stepped up to the plate. But that's okay. We love you guys anyway. Um, but all the women answered. And you know what? You would think that the kind of answers you'd get would be, you know, if they were being super spiritual, you know, Joyce Meyer and Mother Teresa and all this, and that's cool. Or if they were just of the world, you might think, uh, I don't know, I don't even know who these singers are nowadays, but, uh, you know, I like Madonna and Shakira. Okay, I'm old, I dated myself. <laughs> but I didn't see any of that. You know what else I didn't see? Sisters, mothers, cousins, teachers, Pastors, no, no, no. What I saw was 60-year-old grandmothers inspired and encouraged by 30-year-old drug addicts. Yeah. What I saw was people being inspired by other people they didn't even know a year ago. 
It's about doing life together, making those connections. We build up one another. We inspire one another. We encourage one another. We take off our masks. We recover out loud. Rich, my relationship is between me and God. I'm a a private person. That's where my relationship is. God knows my heart. It's personal, huh? Why did Jesus tell us to be baptized? What is baptism, right? A public declaration, declaration of our inward faith. Amen. He tells us to be baptized. Go among all the nations and baptize them. There's so much scripture about coming together in community and coming together as people and pouring into one another. I started like, oh, which one's the best? And then I found like so many. I'm like, I can't even do this. It's giving me a headache. There's so many. So I chose one. And I want to share that one with you. It's 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, for just as the body is one, and we're talking about the body, not, not my physical body, but the body of the church, right? Jesus' church, his bride. And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And you fast forward a little bit. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The weakest shall be the strongest, right? To be first, you gotta be last. The servant will be the master. Connect the dots, y'all. But God has so composed the body, giving honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member has victories, has wins, has accomplishments, has chains broken, then we all celebrate and rejoice together. That's how we're supposed to be in the church, y'all. We're not supposed to keep our stuff tucked away in private. That's spiritual isolation. You may say, well, you know, the self-deprecating side of us may say, well, you know, I don't have any gifts. I don't have anything to offer. In the grand scheme of this whole body analogy, I'm nothing more than the useless little pinky toe. Well, I don't know about you, but that pinky toe was pretty important when I was a little kid. Because without it, I never would have gone wee, wee, wee all the way home, right? <laughs> pinky toe is important, y'all. The smallest, weakest member shall be important. The spiritual journey is not meant to be a solitary walk, but a community pilgrimage. Paul tells us in Galatians 6 and 2 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I said, huh, what law? I dug in a little bit. And the law he's referring to is when the scribe says to Jesus, oh, what are the most important commandments? And he said, there's two. The first is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Mm -hmm. I'm a paraphraser bad memory. But the second is just like it. Not a distant second, not if you accomplish that, but it's just like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So the old me would have said, okay, my neighbor, that's the one I had s'mores in the driveway with last night with the kids and a little bonfire. I love, I love my neighbors. They're cool. We go on vacations together. No, no, no. If you dig into that word neighbor, the root Greek, plesion, 
What it really means, according to Jesus, in this application is any other man, irrespective of nation or religion. Or religion. Mm. We should be doing life together. We should be fellowshipping together. We should be doing life groups together. We got life group people here? Show of hands, who's in a life group here? Oh, we gotta get more of y'all in life groups. But those of you that are in life groups, I ask you this, you guys eat together? Yeah, you break bread, of course. Let me ask you this, do you feed each other? Do you talk about Pastor Daniel's lesson? How it applies to your life? What you're going through? What struck a chord? How the Holy Spirit's working on you in relation to it? Are you doing life together or are you simply having snacks? There's a difference. Discipleship and fellowship are partners in sanctification. And sanctification, for those of you that are unaware of what I'm talking about, that is what happens the minute, I'm sorry, the second you say yes to Jesus. You get sealed with the Holy Spirit. You may go astray, you may try to, you're gonna get nudged, you're gonna get tapped, you're gonna get plucked. Or like me, he just straight throat punches me. He gets my attention because I'm stubborn. But that's what happens. And then you go through a sanctification process, which is becoming more Christ-like as you go. I got saved, and like I said, two and a half years later, I was still drinking. But then I started really getting throat punched and convicted, and he started taking these things from me. You may say, well, Jesus dined with the sinners. Why can't I? You're not Jesus. And what was Jesus doing? Was Jesus... Dining with the sinners to connect with the sin or so the sinner could connect with him. See, too many of us use that as an excuse. Well, Hanging out with the wrong foot. Well, even Jesus dined with the sinners. Okay. If that's you and you're telling your friends, especially the youth, the young folks, the ones that are still doing doing the same thing I used to be doing that I still sometimes do, to be honest, don't be talking about Jesus and then say, yeah, you know, I've been going to church lately and I'm, I found Jesus last week at, you know, at church and it's really been transformed. Well, would you pass that? Thanks. Don't. Just don't. Unless you're going there with a gospel mindset, all you're doing is damaging the gospel. I just assume you don't mention the name Jesus at all. Unless you're there to place that name on their hearts. That's discipleship. That's evangelism. So don't justify it, y'all. Fellowship is more than one-dimensional. It's not just breaking bread together. There's so many aspects of it in the Bible. It talks about the fellowship of the gospel, fellowship of the spirit, the son, the suffering. But two of them really align well to what we're talking about today. That's the fellowship of the body of believers and the fellowship of love because they're one and the same. Hebrews 10 and 25 tells us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son. Y'all, if you're at home and you can't make it here, I got it, we love you, we're thankful. Hope Pastor Daniel doesn't mind, I'm gonna say this, but if you're at home just because you didn't set your alarm or you didn't feel like taking a shower, or you just, I'm fine sitting at home listening. I can get my worship on in my lazy boy. You're missing the point. 
You're missing the point of discipleship, of fellowship, and how important it is in your sanctification. First Peter 4 and, uh, 4 and 10, 8 to 10. I was going to delete this for, for sake of time. And as I, as I highlighted it all and was about to hit the delete button, a couple things popped out to me, which made me in reflection want to ret- retitle this to one another, message titled one another. And that's First Peter 4, 8 to 10. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, yes, you have. Yes, you have. Pray for its manifestation. Yes, you have. If you've received Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit in you. You've got some gifts. You might not know it yet. Pray about it. Come on, we'll pray with you. Release it at the altar today. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Who's enjoying your fruit? as good stewards of God's grace. Y'all, we're the church, and that responsibility doesn't end 15 minutes from now when we walk out those doors. The worship team would make their way up, please. We're supposed to have people in our life. Unfortunately, people are our greatest earthly influence, both the good and the bad. And it's the bad ones that make you say, oh, I don't trust people. I don't want to get close to anybody. I've been hurt before. Yeah. You're going to get hurt again if you start trusting people. Yeah. And that's okay. Because I might hurt you. I don't know. I'm not going to do it intentionally. But you know what? I'm not perfect. None of the pastors in this church are perfect. None of these folks behind the cameras are perfect. None of this worship team is perfect. You're not perfect. Let's be imperfect together, can't we? Amen. We're meant to be together. Mm. And you know what? If somebody in church says something that alienates you, rubs you the wrong way, let's say it right. That's not church hurt. That's people hurt. Church is the body of Jesus. It's Jesus' bride. It's down the road at Princeton Church of God. It's, it's, it's at Briar Creek Assemblies of God. If there is one, I don't know. But it's, it's the body of believers. It's his bride. That's the church. So if, if you try out for the worship team and Blake says, we love you, but take it, take it with love like it's intended. Don't take that and take your, take your Bible under your arm and say, I'm going to another church. I've been church hurt. No, that's really pride. But if somebody truly does hurt you, just chalk it up to hurt people, hurting people. Because we're all going to do it. But we're at the right place, aren't we? Aren't we at the right place to to help cure us of that, heal us of that? We're all going to have Jezebels in our life. We're always going to. But don't be like Elijah. Don't go running off in isolation. Because by yourself, you're not very strong. But when you come together and lock arms, that's when we're strong. Will you guys stand with me, please? I want to ask you again if you're making a difference in anybody's life outside of your supposed to circle. 
And if you're checking the church block on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday living in the world, you're just living in spiritual isolation. That's not where we're meant to be. And then when we do get hurt, that spiritual isolation puts us in a place where more stuff gets piled on us by the enemy, more stuff like despair, hopelessness, guilt, depression, anxiety, that morphs to coping mechanisms. Sometimes that S word he likes to use so much, suicide comes across our brains. When we put ourselves in spiritual isolation, the enemy gets a foothold. So when you get hurt, when you have a struggle, I don't care what it is, something that may be simple to you or simple to others is big for you. Your, your, your anxiety is just as heavy on your shoulders as an addiction is to an addict. It matters to you and it matters to God. If you place yourself in spiritual isolation, you are weaker and eventually he's gonna lay on you a sense of condemnation, like you can't be fixed. Despair, it's too late. You're unsalvageable. He hits you with shame and then he hits you with the word failure. I'm here to tell you, if you think you're a failure, you're not. Failure only happens when you surrender hope to the enemy. We can lose a lot of things in our life. We can lose money, bank accounts, stock market tank. We can lose our house, our job. We can lose relationships. But when we lose hope, what else, what else have we got? Oh, we can't do it ourselves. If we would, we'd have done it already. If we could do it ourselves, we'd have no need of Jesus. But we're here because we know we need Jesus. So I want to pray together today. And while we're praying, I'm going to, in the middle of it, we're going to pause. And I want everybody just to reflect, meditate on God for a moment. One thing that you're struggling with, that you know you're struggling with. Maybe you've shared it with people, maybe you haven't. But one thing I want you to ask God to speak to your heart about. We're going to pray a little, we're going to pause and meditate, and the worship team's just not going to sing yet while we pray, I hope. But let's pray together, let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that your promises are true. I thank you that you are breaking chains even this morning, that somewhere you're breaking chains as we speak and somewhere right now you're speaking to hearts in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you're gonna move right now. You're gonna move right now in people's hearts. You're gonna turn hearts inside out. Those, some of those are not gonna know what they're feeling right now and that's okay. I, want, I pray that you minister to everybody right now. Your word is true. Speak to everybody in this moment, Father God, as we, as we, as we feel and think these things and we, we send these things up to you, Father God, this one thing, this one struggle. We pray that you just speak to us about it. Tell us who we are in you. If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church Online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.